Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Microsoft Spotlight podcast. This is the third one, I think, for the year. Um, so we are still getting going in 2023. Today I'm joined by one of my usual co-hosts, Sophie Dimelo. How are you doing, Sophie? Hi everyone. Yeah, doing really well. Thanks, John. Good to be back. This is my first one. So, uh, so I'm very, very honoured uh, for this to be the first one of 2023. I'm looking forward to get it, getting into it with you guys. So um, our, our guest today, um, I don't know how many of our listeners were there, but we done at the South Coast Summit, we done a roundtable with um, Peter Rising, with Ali Turnbull, with um, uh, Nikki Chappell and a couple of others, I can't remember now. Um, but then we got to towards the end, question and answers, and then quite literally a storm hit the um <laughs> hit the <laughs> hit the um hit the session and it was today's guest storm how are you doing hello thank you so much for having me today um you're right it was uh, a bit of a whirlwind on that event really um but having seen a, a women in tech panel and then questions just from men i thought i actually can't have this i have to stand up and and actually say something which as a gender we're not very good at but hopefully by coming in and talking to you guys i can inspire a few more people to stand up that was awesome and, and i think we said it after it's just like the energy the energy level got cranked up a little bit and it was amazing like yeah the energy you brought passion and, and stuff behind what you just the um, the questions that you're answering um, that you're asking and then stuff you weren't even uh, not even just questions it was just kind of um just knowledge sharing um at the time was was pretty was cool um but storm let's just go into um into you a bit a bit do you want to give us a bit of like a description of yourself kind of what you're doing at the moment where you're working and we'll go from there of course. Um, so I am not from a tech background at all. I am a mathematician and psychologist uh, originally who went into teaching secondary school maths and science. I taught secondary school maths and science for the best part of a decade, both in the UK and overseas. I've taught the British curriculum, the international curriculum and everything in between. Um, I am hugely passionate about using technology in the classroom as a tool for the success of everyone in that space. Um, but I was finding it very frustrating that a lot of the schools I was going into, the general attitude is, we've taught maths like this for the last hundred years. Why on earth would we need to change it now? Um, so there was a lot of, of resistance to bringing tech into the classroom and I could see it was working you know I, I had these 150 kids a year that I was really getting engaged and passionate about maths which as you probably know is quite a difficult subject to get teenagers enthusiastic about um, but it was working and uh, yeah I found it very frustrating so I decided to go and do my master's in digital education I'm currently studying at Edinburgh University and absolutely loving it my homework this week was to play Pac-Man. Um, I can talk a bit more about that later if you want. Um, and yeah, it's fantastic. So I was very, very lucky that the job came up at the National Museum of Computing, 
they were looking for a head of learning and I now head up the education program there. And it is a fantastic opportunity to provide real life context and historical socioeconomic context for curriculum learning in the classroom. Um, I really enjoy my job. I'm incredibly lucky to be where I am. And my goal really is to show that computing is not a standalone subject anymore. It is required for success in every single field um, and to provide an opportunity for young people to explore what that looks like. Wow. Yeah. So that's that cool. Is... So yeah, the um the National <laughs> Museum of Computing as well. I've got a um I've actually got a um a gift card for that um for the um the escape room. When are you coming to visit? We'll get you booked in. But I like Milton Keynes is like it's not a around the corner thing for me. That's a that's it's a day only trip. Only thirty five <laughs> minutes from London. There is a direct line from Euston. It's easier than a lot of people think. Um, yeah, I'm an, I'm an hour and a half to into into Euston, like so. Yeah. <laughs> I'll definitely be taking you up on that storm. Please do. Please it sounds, do. It sounds amazing. So what is the escape room? Can you just I, I, well off subject here, but I don't care. I'm 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 the I'm the host. I can ask the questions, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> so what's the escape room like? Uh, the escape rooms are absolutely fantastic. You pick a decade, and the idea is that you apply digital skills. Um, and build digital skills by trying to escape. So, for example, we have a 1940s escape room, which is based all around World War II cryptography. Um, you will be looking at five-hole punch tape and looking at data representation in five-bit binary and using that to solve puzzles. There are puzzle boxes. Um, it's very much a collaborative team experience um, we have quite a few families come in as well and it's not exclusive to people who are hardcore programmers it is very much for everyone um, there are different levels of difficulty we can support where needed as well um, but the idea is to get you exploring the museum interacting with some of our artifacts it is a working museum um, i would like to point that out because there aren't many of those these days uh, we actually have a working rebuild of Colossus, which is the world's first electronic computer, arguably, depending on who you talk to. Um, but yeah, it was definitely instrumental in terms of kind of ending World War II at the time. And that's what's behind you right now in that picture, right? That is what behind what is behind me in this picture. I'm worried if I move too far, you won't be able to see any of it. Um, yes, so Colossus was developed in World War II. It was developed to crack the Lorenz cipher, not the Enigma, which is what I've recently seen an A-level textbook says that Alan Turing created Colossus to crack the Enigma. He did not. Alan Turing was not involved in the creation of Colossus. He was very much involved in creation of the bomb, which was used to crack the Enigma. Colossus was for the infinitely more complex Lorenz cipher. Let me give you a comparison. So the Enigma has 159 million, million, million possible combinations on it, uh, which is 18 zeros. The Lorenz has 10 to the power of 170. Now, it's been estimated that there are 10 to the power of 87 particles in the known universe. Uh, 
So if we were doing all of those possible combinations by hand and we started at the dawn of time, we're talking big bang, we'd still be going now and we would be barely halfway through. Now with Colossus, the first time it operated, it took 45 minutes to find the settings that a high level German intelligence message had been encrypted with. It's been estimated it shortened the war by between two and four years. So it really was instrumental in ending World War II when it did. Um, and it changed the world, to be honest. That's quite cool. Um, you know, honestly, I had no clue what you're talking about when you're talking about the math stuff. I'll, I'll leave that to you as the expert. But um, <laughs> <laughs> the fact that a computer could do that, um, I'm, I'm happy you dumbed it down a little bit. Uh, because <laughs> although I was quite good at maths, I've got a B in maths at GCSE. That's <laughs> that. Like I think I think we're we're alright, but I think yeah, thanks for dumbing it down. It's really interesting. But yeah, I was talking to our guest. Um, I've done um to the podcast before this with Anna Anares. Um, I recorded that yesterday, and and I, I, it's it's not an episode of the Microsoft Spotlight podcast if I don't mention that we won the pub quiz at the South Coast <laughs> South Coast Summit. And out of that, we got um, free tickets. So we were talking about trying to get get um, get the team together um, for a day out up in up in Milton Keynes for that. So that'd be pretty cool. Um, I to, am a little see. bit biased, but you should come and visit. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I guess wh where did the passion come from? Because I know you were focused on maths and science. In regards to including technology with that, where you know is it something from when you were younger or where do you think that passion for technology has come from um i see it as a learning tool they talk about if you teach a man to fish he'll never be hungry um and to me that's really what technology is all about with things like I don't, well, look at the internet. You have access to a huge amount of information. No matter what you are interested in, regardless of whether they teach it at your school or your college, um, or you potentially have to go and explore specific spaces, move, if you're from marginalized backgrounds or from remote locations, you still have access to this wealth of knowledge through technology. So it's not so much about technology itself as the, the goal. It is a tool to learning about anything else that could be of interest to you. Hi, yeah, um, I find it fascinating and I know if I'd have had more of that and more of what you were explaining when I was at school, I'd definitely found maths a little bit more interesting. In fairness though, I preferred maths to English, so I'm maybe one of the few. Uh, they often say that the two are kind of mutually exclusive. You're either good at maths or you're good at English. Um, and it's quite interesting, actually, if you look at learning theory and you look at intelligence tests and tests of IQ. Um, so my brother and I have exactly the same IQ, exactly okay. the same. Are you, are you the same age or? Uh, he's a couple of years younger than me. Okay. Um, though he's, uh, I would argue, probably, well, he's an AI programmer, put it that way. Right. And, um, <laughs> He had a higher IQ on um, verbal reasoning, whereas my IQ was higher on spatial reasoning, which is the wrong way around. They would generally say that women are higher on the verbal reasoning scale, whereas men would generally have a higher reasoning on spatial awareness, um, which is where we get this idea that men are good at maths and women are good at 
English, which is completely wrong. You know, there, there are all these kind of inbuilt biases that, that come out in some weird and wonderful ways. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, you might well be one of those people that is, is kind of down that, that route rather than that one. Yeah, maybe. And where did you, um, well, how did you first start to get into the women in tech scene? Um, and where did that passion, you know, come from? Uh, so obviously being in the museum space, you start to notice whose achievements are being publicised and advertised around you. Mm -hmm. um, and I hate to kind of generalise here, but men are far better at talking about the things that they have achieved. Um, and it's funny, actually, there was a, a series of books that was written back in the, the kind of late 60s, early 70s, where they're looking at, I digress, I'll come to that in a little bit. Um, basically, a lot of the people whose achievements are advertised are men. And they're very clever because they name things that they invent after themselves. So we talk about them, we recognise their names and it becomes this whole thing. Their um, expertise is recognised in a way that maybe women's aren't. Um, mm -hmm. So if you look at examples like Hidden Figures, where we're talking about the NASA mathematicians, uh, their contributions were, weren't advertised for, for decades. Um, and it's still very much the case. Um, I do have a, a bit of a thing about the fact that we call it his story and we don't tend to recognise her story. I feel like we should we should definitely be advertising the achievements of women more. Um, yeah. They say you can only be what you can see. Um, and I think I've started to realise that there is a lot of subconscious bias that feeds into how we raise young people to see what they are capable of today um yeah yeah I completely agree with everything you've just said um and I think definitely growing up you see I think we've mentioned this before um on some podcasts with with John and Andrew as well around there's so many um you know famous men for doing so well and they're the first people to have done so many things however you don't really hear many women or women that have that you've grown up with you know having the successes so to speak um do you think that education and and stem is moving in the right direction in regards to that or not i do yes i i genuinely do i think we are making a huge amount of headway in providing female role models that are real, relatable, and who have achieved success, whatever that looks like to them in various industries. Um, there are lots of ways that that's happening. We have um, six events a year at the museum where okay. we invite young women in to explore STEM subjects as they relate to real life work, basically. Uh, and we bring in a lot of women to run workshops, hands-on workshops, they provide role models, and I'm seeing that a lot. Um, education is one of the areas where you see a lot of women as well. Um, yeah. So there, there is that idea of a, a female role model within a school, though I would like to see more women in leadership positions in schools. Yeah. That would be nice. Um, but we are getting there, yes. I see a huge amount of progress. Uh, that being said, I did read a piece of research recently that says we, we are far too quick to recognise 
small amounts of progress and small amounts of improvement, rather than focusing on the fact that there is still this glaring divide. I mean, if you look at the data from 2020 for Facebook and Global's tech workforce, less than 25% of the people in there are female. Yes, it's gone up by about 7% in that six years in between, but we've still got less than 25% representation in those areas and social media is huge. Yeah. And actually, why is it important that women are within the tech world and within the developmental process of what technology looks like, 80% of people who take online learning courses are female. We're the ones who are using technology for things like education, and yet we have very little part in, in what that looks like and how it's developed. So it's not necessarily developed for the best amount of progress for the people who are taking those options. Right. Yeah, it's a difficult one. And def I think from our previous podcast you're definitely the first person that I've spoken to that has a real insight of this because the question's always been around you know how do we raise awareness for more women in tech for the younger generation how do we change um the perception and and get younger females thinking you know I do want a successful career in IT math science etc um so it's definitely a different perspective for me to hear obviously what you're saying because if I'm being completely honest I didn't think I thought it was very much still traditional still in the ways of teaching that you know we all know um whereas it's really nice to hear that you know you are seeing a difference and you believe that it is helping genuinely and I hear that question a lot you know it was one that came up at the panel at the yeah. summit it was how do we encourage more women into the industry and and a lot of people are sat there going oh my goodness there's this huge problem how do we address it and they're not really taking any action to make any any changes in that um and what i would say is speak to your local communities oh my goodness get in touch with me come and offer to deliver a workshop to 120 young people who are interested in maths careers or engineering careers um, come in run a workshop show people what you do and and show people what your idea of success looks like as well yeah we might have to set that up john i'm sure we'll know a few women that will definitely do that won't they? please i am desperate to get more working professionals into that museum space i mean i can talk about theory and and all the rest of it i can talk about prime numbers and encryption from that point of view but how does that relate to real life and what does that look like in a working environment that's the bit that educators can't always provide yeah so how did you find or how have you found because obviously i first met you at the south coast summit which exactly what john said you're an absolute powerhouse I was really excited to have you on the podcast. Um, how have you found um, and what's your experience been like at these tech events? Yeah, I mean, I have found it really interesting. We've kind of turned up at these tech events and, and we offer something completely different. We are the, uh, oh my goodness, nostalgic. We've got BBC Micros. We're asking people to program a game of Snake in BBC Basic or diffuse a bomb on a VR headset. Um, we are all about play. Yeah. And the way that we kind of approach it with young people is the same kind of way. You know, it, life needs to be playful, needs to be, people need to have fun with what they're doing. Life should, where is the fun in life when you start getting older and, and work starts getting, I am incredibly lucky I get to work in a place where I play. 
and yeah. I encourage other people to learn through play. Um, and that really is what life should be all about, isn't it? You should be enjoying what you're doing and, and approach yeah. things in a playful, creative manner where you can. Yeah, the, um, <laughs> I had a conversation with my son yesterday. Um, and for the first time ever, he said to me, what, what did you do today? Like, oh. go, like, he's like, it was the first time I think it's ever kind of said like, oh, what did you do today? So, cause I went into London and had meetings and he's like, oh, so what did you do there? And he was actually, for the first time, actually interested in what, what I do day to day, which is very strange. So I went through and said, and then he got on to about after lunch. He goes, well, after lunch, I, I got playtime. Like, I was saying I went back and eat it, then I had to go back to work, because I, I go to playtime. And I was like, oh, what do you do? Play games like Stuck in the Mud? And he's like, how do you know Stuck in the Mud? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so I, used to, I used to play that when I was your age, Aaron. Oh, right. I went, wouldn't it be fun, though, if, like, after lunch, we all went and just, like, went and played Stuck in the Mud? Like, oh, I'd love that. Why don't we do that? The Museum of Computing. Yes, I agree. Exactly. <laughs> John, I've got no idea what stuck in the mud is. What? Oh, it's the playground game. You chase each other, you tag them, and then have to stand there with their arms and legs out. And it's only when someone crawls between your legs that you're then not stuck in the mud and you can go and catch somebody else. What school did I go to? Because I didn't play that. <laughs> She's too busy playing water polo and stuff like that. And by water polo. <laughs> Stuck in the mud names. There must be like a different name for it, right? Well, Yorkshire term. What would it be in Yorkshire? What's, yeah, what's... What games did you play at school, Sophie? Uh, we used to play a game called Dobby. What on earth is Dobby? Where Harry you... Potter. It's uh, not Harry Potter. Do you throw socks at each other? No. And I had a, anything Harry Potter related, I'm there. But basically, someone, count, someone counted at the tree and then... Everyone else had to go and hide, but then you had to go away from the tree and try and find people. But if the pe person got back to the tree before you found them and went Dobby one two three, then then they'd win. No, that that's from St. Kills. Mr. Wolf. No, that's so that's we used to call that. Um, oh, what do we used to call that? <laughs> it, it had another name. That had another name. In, in, yeah, I, I'm from South East London, so we probably called it something completely different. Um, it was called 2020 something or another. Oh. But yeah, same type of game. But yeah, stuck in the mud. You used to get like, get, like, no, like a tag. You used to play. You never used to play tag. Yeah, you used to tag. Tag, whatever. Yeah, so you you tag the person. The person then stands still, and they're not allowed to move. Yeah. And then when the person goes over under the arms or under the legs, depending what our, our generation, underneath the legs. Nowadays, it's underneath the arms. Like. Right. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I used to play. I did used to play that, but I can't. It weren't called that. Oh, um, I'm, I'm glad we got that sorted out. But how fun would it to be at 35 years old for me to be going doing that after lunchtime? That'd be great. I'd love that still. Right. Well, what do you do for fun these days? Um, play PlayStation, I guess. <laughs> Excellent. What games do you play on PlayStation? Um, cool. A whole host of games, really. Um, FIFA, GTA, um, Fortnite, lo loads, yeah. <laughs> Harry okay. Potter. Harry Potter's How about you, Sophie? I know. Um, so I, well, I like to collect quite a lot of board games. So I love a Monopoly night, all that sort of stuff. I love going on long walks. I find that fun. 
Um, but uh, but you know what? I'm like a sucker for really getting into films and series and stuff. It just helps me relax, and I find that fun. I agree. Um, but I would just like to point out here. Um, so it was only in the early 1980s that the percentage of women in tech started dropping, and it dropped off drastically. Now, that coincided with the issue of home computing. Home computers were advertised towards the male population. And if you look at the adverts, they're, they're quite stark in terms mm. of what they're offering. Um, but this was also at the same time that we start to see the arcades. So the video games arcades. Now, that was kind of happening in the late 70s, early 80s. And a lot of the games that were really popular at that point were things like Space Command, a lot of kind of shoot it, um, yeah. blow them up style games. Um, and it was only, oh, sorry. Oh, thank you, Andrew. Um, yeah, it was, <laughs> I just got a message pop up. Um, yeah, it was only actually when they approached a, a company out in Japan and said, we need to increase numbers in the arcades. We've reached a plateau in terms of what we've got coming in at this point. And they said, right, how do we bring in more people to the arcades? How do we get to bring more of an income in here? And they went, right, let's approach the 50% of the population that we don't have in the arcades. Yeah. Women. So they were tasked with developing a game that was specifically targeting women. Um, and that is where Pac-Man came from. Right. So the story is that the developers had sat down for a brainstorming session over pizza and they were like, well, what are women like? It's clearly not like blowing things up. It's not kind of GTA and driving cars. Women weren't allowed to play football back then or they weren't encouraged to. You know, it was very much that's what the boys played. Women would play netball. Um, it, it was this whole distinct difference thing. So they were like, what do women like to do? Eat. So we've got Pac-Man, which is about eating. And that's actually how the character came to be as well. If you imagine a pizza with a couple of slices missing, there you go, you've got Pac-Man. Um, and it was, apparently it was the first video game that was equally popular with men and women, um, which I find fascinating. It yeah. was then modded to make it even more female and you ended up with Ms. Pac-Man. Have you heard this uh, this expression, shrink it, pink it, and cover it in glitter? Yeah. They were talking about making things accessible to women or attractive to women. Um, and if you look at technology and how it's developed to this point, iPhones, standard iPhone size is ergonomically designed for a man's hand. Yeah, the two right. iPhones, which are for women, but you generally pay extra for one of those. And uh, yeah, that, why is it the standard that things are designed for men's interests? Yeah, I find that so annoying. Like, I can't use the bigger ones because my hand's not big enough. And to be fair, I love arcades. Uh, but the only ones that I like is the basketball one where you've got to throw the basketballs in. Uh, what else do I like? The dance one. I bet that yeah. one's designed for a woman. Yeah. <laughs> John, do you like the dance one? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm quite partial to the dancing, um, the dancing games. 
I the speak. whole fitness craze itself, you know, who's been yeah. directed, like gaming fitness, has almost been directed towards the female population as well. And it harks back to, I mean, quite the aerobics videos that you'd sit and do at home with a with one of those steps. Um, yeah, what can you do at home where you don't have to go out? And, and why do we not want to go out and, and do these things as a collective and as a social entity? That, for me, is a really cool question here as well. I mean, guys, if they want to do exercise, they'll go and play football with their mates. And that's still mm. all right. Um, whereas for women, it's, it's a very different experience. So I was looking at, it was interesting, actually, talking about that kind of period in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. 1984, you could, if you look at the graphs of women taking up computer science at universities, it drops off dramatically. Um, you can literally see it, um, 1984. And uh, one of the reasons why women have cited that they take online courses is because they feel safer studying from home than they do yeah. going to a, a campus. Um, and that to me, it's, it's a topic that we don't really discuss, but I also think it's really, really important, you know, that women feel like they need to stay at home for whatever reason that might be, safety, looking after the kids, doing the housework, whatever that is, women feel the need to stay at home. Yeah, I think that's a deep-rooted issue in this today's society, that that's the reason, that that's a lot of women are feeling that across the board, isn't it? And not it's not just an IT thing, that's just a, a, a just thing a across thing. today, yeah, a life across society. Obviously, it's wrong and, and, st and stuff, but yeah. I think it's just one of the effects that's that's hitting um, education and and um, and also the IT industry as well. Um, I think kind of when you look at education and some of the classes out there, and if you look at like some of the beauty courses and stuff like that, they're very well attended um, because it enables um, women to feel safer because they're in an environment they feel more comfortable with. I don't know if that's that's true, no, but working at a college, working right. at a college and university and, uh, before, and working at universities, I've seen you see that quite quite a bit. But yeah, <laughs> one of my uh, my peers on my uh, university course made a, an interesting suggestion to me. So I've been talking about this at uni uh, as well, and um, she basically suggested that there is this um, this like feminine guilt there is this real kind of embedded idea that men's responsibility to go out and earn enough money to, to kind of take care of the household. Um, and that's still very much in existence, especially for young mothers who maybe find it more difficult to leave and, and carry on with their own careers independently. Um, I find it fascinating to kind of think about it this way. But she basically said, when you go to work, you have an end point, which means you have leisure time. Whereas if you are taking care of the home, your work never stops because people are constantly, you're constantly cleaning, you're constantly sorting the washing out. I mean, the dishes never end. Um, so there's there's no end point there. And because your partner is away making sure that you have food on the table, you then feel this incredible guilt to make sure that the house is completely taken care of as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that, to be honest. It is. It's fascinating to think about. Still. I think so. Um, yeah, and like I say, I, I can talk about it for hours. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you, you're very passionate and that, um, you know, that's really inspiring, actually. 
Uh, and you you know your stuff. You you are honestly one of the smartest paid people I've ever spoken to. <laughs> in regards to all of this. Thank you. That's really fine. No, it's um, right. I did have I did have one question. Um and it was just around and again, I'm not sure if you you know this, but have you seen any changes recently with the amount of women v men in computer science and doing more sort of the STEM subjects going on to university and things like that? Have you seen any change? Um, from the people that I have spoken to, to be honest, the biggest change that I've seen is the fact that people are actually talking about women's successes. Right. What is interesting, though, is they don't seem to be talking about their own. Um, so I've recently been speaking to a company that organizes uh, work experience for young women who are exploring options within the tech industry. Um, okay. Again, if you know anyone who'd be interested, I could definitely pass on some details and I'm sure that would be greatly appreciated. There is an interest in it. There is an appetite for it. Um, they want work placements. They want to find out what it is to work in these industries. Um, but rather than talking about this amazing program that has been developed to help young people enter the industry, they're talking about the successes of the girls that have been through it. Yeah. Which is great. You know, we want to hear that as well. Um, but there is still a lot of reluctance to talk about our own individual successes. I mean, what's your greatest achievement, Sophie? Probably getting to where I am as an account director for, you know, one of the biggest distributors in the UK IT channel. That's definitely one of my biggest achievements. But as well, I've always had that career drive um, and I'm very focused on that, whereas I can appreciate for a lot of other people, they might have other commitments and other things that get in the way of that. Some people aren't as confident as myself and you when it comes to just getting yourself out there. Um, you know, no one ever said to me, to, to go out there and get into the tech community, something that I just did. Um, and then with that came loads of opportunities, which I'd always advised. But yeah, 100% that would be my biggest achievement. Well done you. Thank you. Can I ask a follow-up question? Yeah. Are you competitive? Very. <laughs> Do you see things as a challenge? Pardon? You see things as a challenge? 100% day-to-day -day life as a challenge. Right, so I noticed something really, really interesting. I run a session for the kids called Data Steminism, where we explore the stats of women in STEM subjects over the last kind of 70 years. Um, and when I developed it, I was like, this is great. I'm going to be challenging young women to go, oh my goodness, we've been forced out of this area for so long. Challenge accepted. I'm going to, I'm going to fight that status quo. And that's yeah. how I would have seen it. And I can see that that is how you would look at it as well. Yeah. But you would be surprised. I've spoken to so many young people who feel the exact opposite. And they're sat there going, well, why would I put so much effort into trying to get into an industry that has worked so hard to keep me out of it? Like, yeah. I, that's too big a wall. That's a mountain for me to climb. Um, and they do, they see it as a, a, I'm sat there going, brilliant. I'll put on my shoes, you know, and I'll start yeah. working. Um, but not everybody does. And I do wonder, you saying earlier that you have that kind of mathematical brain, I do wonder whether there's an element in that and how people see it as well. Yeah. John, I'm sorry, I should ask you, what's your greatest achievement? Yeah, my children. Oh, that's so lovely. Children, um, always. Uh... And that's really interesting to me as well, because 
gender stereotypes aside, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. completely in there, yeah. those answers potentially should have been the other way around. Yeah. Probably, and that's yeah. what we would expect. Um, but to be but fair, I, I, the reason why I wouldn't say career is, for me personally, I think that I don't think that I've fully achieved everything in my career, like my career, yet, if you get what I mean. So like, yeah, um, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not at the endpoint yet of any of, of achievement. I've, I've done, I've obviously done well, but it's not my great, it's not my, it's not my biggest achievement because I'm not there yet. It doesn't need to be. Success yeah, yeah. is completely different to different people. And I love yeah, that you've yeah. said your kids. I think that's great. Mm-hmm. And actually the fact that you are the one that's doing this podcast, that's fantastic as well. And that's the whole point of this, isn't it? Questioning gender stereotypes and yeah. trying to promote the fact that we are all different and we all have something to bring to the table and it doesn't need to be because you are female or male or or whatever that looks like. There is a whole spectrum in between and everybody has something to contribute. Yeah. So I guess, well, last couple of questions then. What what are your plans for the future? I'm going to change the world. Can I say I that? I believe you could. I, I believe you could. the world. Um, I, my plans for the future. In the immediate future, I want to continue running these fantastic educational events. Um, the reason I'm so passionate about them is that I think it genuinely looks to bridge digital divides uh, between marginalised communities uh, and also the digital skills gap in tech as well. Um, the way that we approach it is... We don't ask the schools to fund these. We are approaching industry partners and saying, you're the ones who ultimately benefit from well-educated, well-rounded young people who have the digital skills required to succeed in your workplace. Mm-hmm. Will you fund it? And we've been really, really impressed with the response. You know, some of our, our sponsors have been so generous in this. Um, they really have. I mean, I sure do sponsoring days with us. We've got a, a guy called Peter Membry who's out in Hong Kong. He's not sponsoring them through his company. He's sponsoring them as an individual because he wants to see women succeed in these subjects. Um, I'm hoping that we'll get you guys involved somehow. Um, but yeah, the whole idea is that we're not then being exclusive to fee-paying schools who can afford to reach this kind of opportunity. We're providing those opportunities for all. And looking at a diverse range of backgrounds as well, and making sure that we provide real relatable role models for that too. Uh, Next, and I don't know how much detail I can go into on this one. What I would like to see I don't know whether you know this, but in the education sector, there are very few schools who have qualified computer science teachers. There are not enough of them. Um, So generally, computer science teachers tend to be educators who are picking up another subject. They might be geography specialists or PE specialists or math specialists, but they're not computing specialists. Now, there are some absolutely fantastic resources out there. What I would like to see is we work in a museum space where collectively our volunteers have centuries of knowledge and experience. They're the ones that I really want to be giving the opportunity to engage with young people as well. So mm-hmm. my next step is to look at how we can, as a museum, support education with our experts to make sure that young people from every background have access to a quality education in terms of computing. Wow, that's really interesting, actually, about the teachers. I didn't know that at all. 
and that again could be another reason that maybe the curriculum isn't as correct or well adverse as what it should be. So um, coming towards the end of the podcast now, um, our time allocated. So I've got two questions, two questions I asked um, to, to Anna yesterday, um, and I'm, I'm probably going to make this a regular theme um, for, for future episodes of 2023, new theme and all that type of stuff. Can you give us like an event that's happened in the past, really negative event, like what's happened to, um, to, to yourself and kind of like how you over, like overcome it or yeah, and, and, and kind of what you what happened off the back of it? Ooh. Interview question. John, that's a very personal question. Um, I like it. <laughs> uh, so I guess sticking on the theme of gender, um, when I was significantly younger, I was actually going into the army, believe it or not. Uh, that was that was my goal. I went and did Sandhurst selection at the age of 15. I was an army scholar. Um, as far as I was concerned, that was it. I was set. That was going to be my career. Um, and when I got to university and started training with the officer training corps, I really expected that I would be taken seriously because I had worked my absolute behind off to get to that position. Um, and I was genuinely disappointed to find that most people sat there and went, well, she only got that because she's a female. Um, so this idea of positive discrimination, which I think can be just as equally damaging and having um, quotas to reach is not always the answer because it can undermine the achievements of the people who are in those positions. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think we had a, a, a talk about this on the first Health Cove Summit. Um, someone in, in, in the audience asked, I think it was your friend, um, Sophie, your old colleague, um, asked a question. Uh -huh. It was a bit of a debate off the, off the back of that. So, yeah, um, <laughs> we haven't got enough time now to go through it, but because <laughs> I think we'd have been talking here for about 20 minutes now. But the second question um, off the back of this was, what's the most positive experience that you've had in, in your career? And so I'd like to go negative, then positive, round it off with something nice. What's the most positive experience you've had? Something that's gone, been really good, really great, and you'd like to share to the world that is listening. <laughs> I suppose on the complete other end of the spectrum there, where I'm working now at the National Museum of Computing, I work with some of the most impressive minds that I have ever come across, like absolute experts. I mean, they got Colossus working from nothing, effectively you know all these old computing machines that we don't even have the technology to fix anymore they are developing them and improving them as well in some really interesting ways um so i've gone from being not taken seriously in something that i knew really really well and it had worked my <clears throat> off to get to to being somewhere where i don't come from a tech background but people genuinely take me seriously they recognize the experience that i have within education and as a female, um, and that is taken into consideration. So yeah, the most positive thing that has happened to me to this point, I would say is working where I currently am and having the, the freedom and the support to feel like I'm making a genuine difference in the world. Yeah, awesome. I think, by the way, just on a quick note, I think you'd be amazing as a keynote speaker, like yeah, at an event and stuff. I think you could oh. come across really well. Like you, you speak 
got infectious when you when you're speaking and stuff like that. Especially with how we picked it up the other day. So um, yeah, I think if there's any call for speakers out there for like a keynote special session, you should get some yeah. some bits in. I think you'll do an amazing <laughs> job. Um, but here we are. We're at the end of the episode now. So um, so um, great to have you here again and. Um, I hope Andrew is okay. He had a, a car crash yesterday and um, he's, he's kind of sorting things out now. So there, yeah, rest up. Hope Andrew's fine. And um, still been a pleasure to have you on. Um, great episode and um, nice to know a lot more about you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I hope that I will get to see you again soon. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, Dom. <laughs> Take care. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Microsoft Spotlight podcast. Please make sure you hit that like, share and subscribe button to help us promote our message. You can also follow us on Twitter at MSFT Spotlight and we're also on LinkedIn for Microsoft Spotlight podcast. And finally, we'd like to tell you a little bit about BitTitan and thank them for sponsoring this podcast. Remote migrations start here. Let MigrationWiz do the work for you. It's fast, secure and 100% SaaS which means you can migrate at any time and from anywhere. Migrate mailboxes, documents, public folders, personal archives, or even Microsoft Teams with just a few clicks. No special training needed and no customer downtime. When the work matters, choose MigrationWiz.